Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jesus just told us in his words to us that uh, we are to ponder the birds. So we're going to do that here for a second. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're all done. No, I'll do a little bit more. Hey, he told us to do it, you know. We said ponder the birds, we pondered the birds. There you go. Actually, in a, uh, a YouTube search of bird songs, I found it very difficult to find a 45-second clip. Most of them are on the orders of, uh, order of three hours. So that shows you how great the need is uh, for people to just listen uh, especially maybe in the winter months, uh, to listen to the birds singing and to watch them. It's kind of relaxing, isn't it? Uh, we are going to take a little deeper dive into Jesus' words. It's an interesting thing, though, uh, to preach on someone else's speech. We've talked about this before, but Jesus, these are his words, so I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. Uh, except that uh, what Jesus is teaching here is really what we would call wisdom. Uh, it's a wisdom literature tradition, and you see this in uh, the Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, in Job, um, where wisdom literature is really meant to be chewed on, to meditate on a little bit. You don't just, it's not just getting a factoid, okay, here's a bit of information, I got that thing, and I'm done with it. And so we're going to chew on Jesus' words a little bit this morning. Um, and there's two levels to what Jesus is doing today. There's two levels of teaching. The first level is him just very uh, straightforwardly communicating what our problem is. What is our problem? In this instance, worry, anxiety, fear about the future or the present. And he's just addressing it straight out. Um, he's not coming at it slant. He's just saying, here's the issue, right? The issue is that we worry, that we are anxious, that we fear. And he addresses it pretty uh, straightforward in terms of uh, what this does for us. So it's the kind of thing where as soon as you hear him say it, it's, well, duh, yeah, that makes total sense. So he says, how many of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Or we might say can add any abundance to your life. I mean, real living to it. And what do you guys think the answer is to that? Nobody. In fact, as you chew on it a little bit and you think about the impact that your own worry or anxiety has on your life, you'd probably say that not only does it not add anything to my life, whether that's time or just an abundance of experience, but it usually takes away 
from our lives, right? We would say that worrying more about things will cause me more stress, um, less sleep, less health, all those types of things. And so Jesus just addresses that straight out for us. Do you feel like that's going to help you stop worrying so far? Maybe not. Still true, right? This is the first level of things. Jesus is just addressing it. What's true and what's not true, whether we have an ability to grasp it. The second thing he identifies straight out um, is that he says the pagan world seeks after these things, worrying about how, how we are dressed, in other words, how we appear to each other, um, what we eat, what kind of security we have, what shelter looks like, what, what influence we have on others, whatever control we're looking for. In fact, Jesus is describing how we handle worry, handling worry. This is a, a crucial part of it because it's a grasping kind of a thing. And he says that the pagan world, meaning just the world at large that does not know the Heavenly Father, seeks after these things in a way that we think somehow if we just can grab hold on to that stuff, then we will worry less. And we know in experience that that does not happen. Um, Having more security, resources, whatever else does not stop us from worrying about it. In fact, you can find times where having enough can only make you worry that what happens if I lose the stuff that I've got. And what I find really comforting in these words that Jesus says here is that he highlights that this is the way the world is, but then he also says, your heavenly father knows that you need this. Like God created the world for us. That's, that's a gift that he's giving to us. And so he's not just uh, calling for some sort of um, pie-in-the-sky spiritualism or ascetic lifestyle like, well, don't worry, you, you shouldn't, you don't have, you don't need clothes, you don't need food, you don't need, no, he knows that we need this and he wants to provide it for us. And so he talks about Jesus contrasts these two different ways of handling our worry or our anxiety. The first is to grab or to hold onto tightly. And you saw that in the video, the, just the imagery of grabbing at, I love how they tied that together with Adam and Eve at the tree, right? That somehow God's given them all this abundance of creation, but you know, he must be holding out on us with this thing. He's keeping it away. And so uh, Jesus contrasts this way of the world or way of our hearts to grab onto things for security versus to trust and to receive. I noticed this again last week when we were doing communion because I, I just was participating in it. I just got to come up and I wasn't trying to manage the things up front. And it's not a new thing to me, but it just hit me again thinking about this passage, how uh, so many of us receive communion. What do we do? You just put your hands out, an open, empty hand, and God provides. And so Jesus contrasts this grabbing versus open-handed. And then the second thing he contrasts in terms of the way of the world versus the way of the kingdom is that the way that we try to handle our worry is to think about it a lot. So maybe at the very beginning when I mentioned our worry or anxiety, you started to think of something in particular that you are worried about and everything else that I've said to you from that point on you haven't been listening to. We tend to think about it. We think about it at 2 a.m. We think about it while we're having a conversation with someone and attempting to listen to them, but we're not paying attention to what they're saying because our minds are preoccupied. Uh, We think about it a lot more. 
This, Jesus says, this is how we try to handle our worry is kind of think our way out of it. And then what does he tell us in contrast to do today? Ponder the birds. Look at the flowers. Can you think of a more useless way to use your time? I mean, when I have a problem, if I'm worried about something with my kids or finances or planning something or a conflict with somebody else, the last thing I want to do is just go sit outside and look at some birds. I want to solve the problem. And yet there's something very counterintuitive and profound and gracious about what Jesus is telling us here. To go do this seemingly useless thing and witness God's provision for you. And this is what takes us to the second level of what Jesus is teaching us, a deeper level of what he's teaching us. Because so far, he can, he's telling us not to worry, and that doesn't really accomplish what we, we know it can't do that. Just to tell you not to do it is not going to do it. So he takes us to a deeper level, and he has us focusing not just on the birds, but on sight. What is it that we actually see in our lives? And you see this theme all the time uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, even when you go all the way back uh, to near the beginning there with, G- with God's call to Abraham, and we saw it in the video there, God calls Abraham and Sarah, and what do they see in their lives? They see that they are old. They see that they are past the age where they can have children. They see that they have no children. They also see that they are not part of a society with a social safety net where they've put together a 401k and someone else will be... Guess what your retirement plan is in those days? Your kids. I'm still banking on that for myself. We tried to have a large family for today's standards, right? That, that would be Abraham, what he sees, right? What he sees. And maybe he's filled with all kinds of anxiety and worry about what the future, if any future, holds for him. And then God takes him out in the night and he has him look up at this clear sky at the stars. Think about this. Jesus telling us to look at the birds, right? God tells Abraham to look at the stars and count them. That's also an impossible ask. Abraham says, I can't. I can't count these stars. There's too many of them. And God says, this is how your descendants will be. God gives Abraham this sight of faith to see that God will not only provide for for Sarah and for Abraham, but actually for the world. Through his descendants will come the one who will save all of God's people, save all of creation and restore everything, make everything new again. God gives Abraham sight that he could not see on his own. Another example of this happens later on in the Old Testament with the prophet Isaiah. And again, I'm just giving you guys a survey. There are numerous instances uh, of this throughout the scriptures of sight. But in the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, the section starts off like this. Isaiah, they're in the divided kingdom of Israel. And go watch Game of Thrones uh, if you want to try to figure out how all of this works. It's always so confusing to me after so many years of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Anyway, there's a lot of chaos. But chapter 6 starts off like this. In the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, if you are in a monarchy 
and you hear the king is dead, what's the very next thing you want to hear? Long live the king. Because when the king dies, there's a transition going on. There's a vacuum of power or authority, uh, stability. I mean, even in our day, uh, with our approach to government, people can be anxious about the next administration, right? The next group of people that are in charge. Anytime there's a change, we, we want to know, well, who's really in charge and what's this going to have as an impact on my life? What am I going to do? And it was no different for Isaiah and the people of Israel. When King Uzziah died, there's a lot of anxiety. What's going to happen next? Who's really in charge of this thing? We want, we want to know who the leader is and will they, will they rescue us? Will they lead us into the place that we want to go? I mean, every, every part of our lives is like this, where we are looking for someone else to have that authority to help fix the issues that we have. Well, in Isaiah's words in chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God shows Isaiah, in the midst of that instability, in the midst of his worries and his fears, that God is on the throne, that God is in charge. He is sovereign. He rules over all these things. And so whatever smaller scale thing we're looking to, to assuage our fears and to give us hopes, God shows Isaiah in that vision. And by extension, he shows you and I that he is still in charge and that he cares for you. The third and final uh, illustration in scripture of sight is not one of our sight uh, being given by God, but actually of God's sight for us. So, you know, we heard these words in Luke 12 from Jesus, but, but before this, uh, Jesus has, it's kind of the start of his Sermon on the Mount. So people have been gathering, large crowds of people are coming to hear him speak. And they've heard about his miracles, they've heard about his teaching. You know, some people, whatever their motivations are, it doesn't matter, they're all coming. Now, when he looks out on this field of people, what kinds of people does he see? What kinds do we see? We see young and old. We see men and women. We see uh, well-to-do. We see impoverished people. We see people who take advantage of other people, right? Like the tax collectors or the Roman soldiers. We see people who are victims of other people. In other words, when we look at crowds of people, and this seems increasingly encouraged in our society today, we just, we would group them into types. There's this kind of person here and that type of person there, and these people are against those people, and so we can just kind of figure out what kinds or groupings people are supposed to be in, and we can also figure out whether we like them more or not as well. But what does Jesus see? He says he sees people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's what he sees. And in fact, that's what's going on in Jesus' words to us today in Luke 12. He's not just telling us to have a better perspective. Right? He's not just commanding you, hey, stop worrying, see things in a better light. He's actually giving us a glimpse of what God sees. And what God sees is what is true. That's what's happening here with Jesus' words. When he describes the birds and the flowers, he's showing us what God actually sees. Now, throughout this section of Scripture, you might not have noticed this, but the word little 
shows up three different times in the text. And it's almost like they're, they're bracketing the main points in these three little sections here. So the first time that Jesus says little is that he talks about how we cannot add an hour to our life by worrying. So if we can't do this little thing, right, how can we handle much larger things? How little does your worry seem to you? The reason why other people's worries seem littler to you is because they're farther away. But when they're in your, I was thinking about this with the plank in your eye versus the speck in your brothers. They might not actually be physically different. It's just a matter of what you can't see past, right? And so the first one he mentions is the little, the littleness of worry just weighs so heavily on us. The second time he uses the word little, he's talking about us, uh, you know, compared to the flowers of the field, and he calls us, you of little faith. You of little faith. A little bit of a reprimand there. Although, how much faith do you need? A mustard seed, I see many of you saying. A mustard seed of faith. So that's the second little that Jesus mentions. The third little, I'll tell you in a second. First, I want to tell you a story. A friend of mine named Dan Perling, uh, this was a member, uh, an elder in my church in Sacramento, um, and uh, sadly, he uh, had cancer, and it was very aggressive, and in about a year and a half uh, from his diagnosis, he died, and uh, of course, I was tasked with the funeral and uh, you know, ministering to the family. His extended family was a family of pastors. His dad had been a pastor and retired. His brother, I think, is still a pastor, a little older than me. And so they all came into Sacramento and stayed with us at our house uh, for the days leading up to the funeral. And uh, one of the highlights of this, of course, was that all of the storytelling that started to occur around mealtimes and just getting up in the morning and getting ready for the next thing and whatever else was happening. And uh, I remember one of the mornings at breakfast, we were sitting around uh, one of the tables and they were sharing stories of, uh, of Daniel and his brother and siblings. His mom in particular had this story. They, uh, in their family, they had a cookie jar. Does anyone do this anymore? Well, I, we wouldn't because they wouldn't exist in there. You got to put them high or invisibly right? But they had a cookie jar on their counter, and Dan's mom came home one day and found that like half of the cookies had been eaten out of the cookie jar. She was at least a little concerned because nobody had asked, and secondly, she wanted to know, is there someone that's about to get a stomachache uh, in the household here? So she started asking the kids, and, you know, every one of the other kids just deny, 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 right? So she gets to little Daniel, he, I think he's probably five years old at this time. And she says, now, Daniel, did you eat the cookies from the cookie jar? You guys want to sing the song now, I know. She says, Daniel, did, did you eat those cookies? And Daniel, little five-year-old Daniel says, a beast ate them. <laughs> so she presses a little bit further. What do you mean by that? And Daniel says, one of Jesus' little lambs. He's talking about himself, right? He's talking about himself. At the age of five, gifted by his parents and the Holy Spirit, little Daniel saw himself through the father's eyes. That's a gift to you and me, too. That's what Jesus is doing here. The third and final little in this text 
is that Jesus tells you and I who cannot seem to control our worries, cannot seem to see things in the proper light all the time. He says, your father is pleased to give you the kingdom, little flock, little flock. See, Jesus in these words is giving us a glimpse of what God sees when he sees you. You are precious in his sight. He is pleased to give you the kingdom, something we can't even wrap our minds or our hearts around. This is what is true. You are Jesus' little lamb as well. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.